Welcome to another episode of the Cornet Northern California Chapter Podcast. This is Melissa Pacey, Principal at HGA, member of the Leadership Council of the Northern California Chapter of Cornet, and your host today. Our podcast today features the 2019 Cornet Northern California honorees, Ed Axelson and Carol Sandman. Ed, our Real Estate Executive of the Year, is currently the Senior Director of Corporate Real Estate and Facilities at Splunk. He has led workplace at several very notable tech companies, including Netscape, Silicon Graphics, Palm, Roku, and Twitter. Carol, our Real Estate Service Provider of the Year, is the founder and principal of API Design. After founding her firm in Silicon Valley in the early 90s, she built a vibrant practice of forward-thinking staff and grew an impressive list of repeat clients that are Silicon Valley giants. I have to tell everyone that I've been looking forward to this day since you were both announced. You've both been so instrumental in the shaping of the workplace that we all experience today in the Bay Area, and I feel really lucky to be able to pick your brains. But before I do that, I'm honored to thank our podcast sponsor for today's episode, The Impact Group. They offer facility staffing, project move and construction management, operations and site services, as well as workplace strategy consulting. They are fantastic at working with their clients to deliver the right talent at the right time to meet your needs. By combining the best people, the best process, and the best technology, Impact is able to deliver customized solutions for your built environment needs. Ed and Carol, I personally want to thank you both so much for joining us here today, and especially thank you to Ed for hosting us here at the beautiful Splunk offices in San Jose. You're welcome. So Carol, can you tell our listeners about your first job and how that has influenced your career and maybe what were some of the most important lessons that you learned? My very first job was babysitting, but aside from babysitting, I worked at um, Pop and Fresh Pies and I was a waitress there, made $1 an hour plus tips. And um, thankfully, I provided good customer service and got a lot of tips. So, But yeah, I guess that was one of my initial lessons, which is something that's always been very important to me, is providing good customer service. And I think that when you're a server in a restaurant, there's nothing like giving good service to you know understand what that means. Probably taught you about some long hours for the architecture career. Oh, too. yes, that too. That too <laughs> Late definitely. nights. And I learned a lot about pie as well. It's always a good thing to know about, right? <laughs> Especially around Thanksgiving. Exactly. <laughs> Excellent. Um, okay, so Ed, when you look back at your career, could you pick out maybe a defining moment that led you to where you are today? Uh, definitely. So I was an intern at IBM in upstate New York, East Fishkill. My father had worked there, uh, retired out of there. It was back in the day uh, when you could basically work there forever. And somehow I applied, and somehow or another, I was an intern uh, for industrial engineering uh, between junior and senior year. And they just, they were, they had me working on a project that was going to be built in three years uh, in Virginia uh, and spending tens of millions of dollars on equipment and capacity planning and yield utilization. So, um, I just remember coming home and just being super excited uh, to be able to put all of this knowledge that from school to work. Um, and that, because that was a semiconductor site, that sort of led me to Silicon Valley. So did, was that kind of instrumental in your move to the West Coast? 
Definitely. As, as it turned out, Fairchild Semiconductor had a very small operation. It was actually on my way to high school, so we would see it every day. And it's like, oh, what do they do? But um, when I was in school and after I had done the internship, I saw an ad for, um, uh, for Fairchild, and they didn't send a recruiter out. So I fill, filled out this little coupon in the back of a magazine, and I said, yeah, what, you know, maybe they'll, maybe they'll give me a trip to California. And they did. Little did you know <laughs> exactly. you'd be sitting in California today. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, the rest is history. That's amazing. Uh, add to that story, well, just, you know, they sent me in about an inch worth of materials. They flew me out. It was a December 1979. I bought a guitar while I was out here, uh, which I still have. That's amazing. Yeah. Do you play the guitar regularly? Badly. <laughs> How many guitars do you have now? Well, I have one, and I bought one for my wife, but it became mine. Is she worse than you or better than you? Um, she tried taking lessons and, um, well, didn't continue. Let's put it that way. <laughs> That's a very good political answer. <laughs> Excellent. So, Carol, uh, in the early 90s, you struck out on your own, um, which I think for many people is a huge dream, but I'm sure also was incredibly scary. Could you tell us about what led to that decision? Um, and is there anything that you wish you had done differently in hindsight? So um, I hadn't actually planned to start my own company um, in those years. I had worked at a firm that I thought was my you know, dream job. I was never going to leave. I was going to you know, ascend through the ranks, be a principal there, and retire there. And um, as luck would have it for me, I made a decision about two years into being there that I really should go start my own firm. And part of the reason was I was doing... Um, all of the marketing for the projects that I was bringing in. I had staff that reported to me singularly, just to me, and kind of was you know, using their fax machine, their copier, and kind of running my own little business out of, the, um, out of their office. And reps were saying, you should start your own firm. So I was getting a lot of feedback from both clients and others. You should do this and strike out on your own. And so finally I got to the point, you know, like another year later, that um, maybe I really should do this. And so I did. So what was that like, taking that leap? It was, of course, a little scary. But I also I had a client that I had brought to that firm with me from where I'd previously been. And they were the only client that I shared um, the information with that I was going to be leaving. And they were a fairly significant developer client at the time. And um, they said, well, if you're leaving, we're going with you. So I felt confident in the fact that I would have some work, you know, right from day one. And when I started the company, I started with two employees. So I knew that we'd have to have enough work for the three of us. But by month four, we had hired um, a drafts person. And by month five, we had a contract person. So it just started growing from there. I'm sure it also gave you a little bit of sympathy for your clients since you had to do a little bit of what they were doing and starting your own space. Could, oh, could definitely. About that? Yeah. I mean, I had, um, luckily I had um, someone who I worked with who was in an administrative position who kind of was my little spy. And I was like, how much is a PG&E bill? What does the phone system cost? Um, how do you get business cards printed? And so she was very, very instrumental in me understanding the costs, you know, just kind of the background costs. 
And um, after we'd been in business for about a year, she came to work for me and she was with us for about 15 years. But yes, I definitely got an idea of what it's like to go out and look at space and all of that kind of thing. And our first space was only 750 square feet. So it was quite small, but um, it was perfect for what we were doing at the time. Cozy. Yes, very cozy. <laughs> it got cozier as time went on, believe me. And then what is uh, something that like, when you look back, maybe you wish you had done differently or? Oh, let's see. I don't think that there's anything specific. I spent about nine months planning to do this, so it wasn't spur of the moment at all. Um, I had a five-year business plan that I had written, and I had all the banking relationships set up and accounting and attorney and all of that done before I even left the firm that I was at. So I felt like I was very prepared. So looking back, trying to think what I could have done differently, um, nothing is coming to mind because I put so much time into the preparation. Totally. So maybe that's some good advice to listeners who are striking out on their own. Yes. I would definitely say don't do it spur of the moment that you really, I mean, to have it be as successful as it can be, putting in the preparation time is really important. Great. So Ed, I'm going to go ahead and call myself out because this is definitely bad journalism because I don't have the exact metrics on this. But I do know that you are very regularly involved in the membership program with Cornet because you've been involved with it since I've started Cornet. And I was wondering if you could talk about why you dedicate your time to this and what you personally get out of it. When you're in a small company, and you know Silicon Valley is full of small companies that grow very fast. Um, typically, I'm, I'm the first guy in the door. Sometimes adult supervision is attributed to me but um, you don't and early on you don't know everything you don't know what you don't know so the way to get that knowledge is to you know network um, with with people in companies like ours and the way to do that is well you come to an organization like Cornet where where folks aggregate and you, you know, you share your horror stories and uh, your triumphs and um, it's, a, it's a learning vehicle. It's, um, as I uh, will say, it's uh, where you develop camaraderie and an understanding for how things really work. Do you feel like you're also kind of, you know, mentoring people who would be future candidates to work with you, or is it more just kind of learning from them as well as you kind of teaching them as well? Well, I definitely uh, am in a mentoring kind of a mode. I have to be honest and say not so much with people from, from Cornet, but um, people that I work with, people that have worked with me previously that have gone on to do, frankly, bigger and bigger things than, than I have. So that's, uh, there's definitely opportunity there. I just haven't uh, taken as much of advantage of it as I should have. Uh, Carol, do you have a mentor that played a big part in your career? Um, and if so, how did you find that mentor? And was that relationship something that just happened? Or did you seek that person out? Um, I've had several mentors, definitely. Um, I think when I was uh, thinking about starting the company, one of my clients was actually my mentor. And um, he was the one client that I shared with what I was doing um, way before I even decided really to pull the trigger and do it and um, shared some of my aspirations. And so he was the one that said, 
kind of coached me in terms of you have to write a business plan. And I was like, oh, I do. Okay. What else do I have to do? And so he was the one that really set me in the down the path of as a business person, knowing what I needed to do. And then prior to that, I definitely have had, um, like every firm that I've worked with, I've had a mentor at each of those firms, someone who's more experienced and um, has taught me a lot, given me a lot of lessons in terms of, um, you know, how to approach my projects, how to approach my work. And uh, yeah, I really am a big believer in helping to bring young people up and mentor them, as well as um, receiving mentorship from others. Ed, what about you? A special mentor? I'd have to say no, actually. So I've kind of, I don't know, call it a personality defect. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I've really struck out pretty much on my own. And by strike out, I don't mean like striking out. Right. Trailblazing. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, so it's been, you know, as we... It's like an inventory supply curve. I'm going to geek out on you yes. where you uh, and the listeners, you, you love learn it. as much as you can at, at, at whatever company you're at. Sometimes those companies grow faster than you as an individual, and you need to reset, or I do. So you take a step back and you go to a slightly smaller company, and then you grow that one bigger for X number of years, and then you take a step back <laughs> and so forth. Sometimes it's, you know... The times, um, for instance, there's the dot-com period where there ain't nothing out there. And then there's other times like this where there's more than you can shake a stick at. So you have to just be careful. You are also well known for having exceptional leadership and team building skills. Could you share your secret sauce with our listeners? Lies. You know, I don't know. It's um, back. I, I was raised upstate New York, went to parochial. Or I should say I spent eight years in uh, parochial school uh, with the nuns. Um, and so something I think rubbed off there in terms of just treating people the way you would want to be treated. Um, you don't need to be mean or nasty. You don't, certainly don't need to yell at anyone. If I have to yell, I yell at my computer, and my staff will tell you all day and all night that, uh, yeah, they know when I'm around because I'm talking to my computer. Fortunately, it doesn't talk back to me yet. Yeah. Um, so secret to leadership, um, the other thing I would say is recognizing what you don't do well. And just being brutally honest, I mean, I don't think I'll go into detail here about what I don't do well, but I recognize certain aspects, and I make sure that I hire people that can fill those voids, and it just makes me as an individual look great. That's a good secret. Okay. (laughs) Should add humble to the list, maybe? Well... That's true. The the uh, I've learned along the way. Um, you know, I'm I'm not the guy that's doing this by myself. It it does take a team. There are pe- very talented people, um, and I just I feel more like a conductor than an actual um, builder. So I mean, I don't feel that deserves all that much recognition. Frankly, that's. 
that's the problem I have. I shouldn't call it a problem. That's the difficulty I have with the, the whole Cornet Award here. It's, um, it's very, very humbling. I think there are a lot of people uh, that are more deserving, but uh, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and to be clear, you deserve it. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. So to change gears a little, I'm going to go to Carol. You call your staff an extension of your family, um, and I imagine that can be pretty hard as you scale up to be as large as you are today, uh, as your company is, not you personally, obviously. So how have you um, so successfully handled that growth? Yeah, it definitely um, has been a bit of a challenge because until not very long ago, I still thought of us as a small company. And people were saying, you're not a small company. You've got you know over 50 people. That's not small. And I'm like, okay, medium. And um, so that transition mentally for me was always a bit of a leap. But um, I have still worked very, very hard to keep the family atmosphere. And I think the way that we do that is by a lot of different activities that um, kind of touch all people in the company. For example, we have a principal happy hour and a principal breakfast quarterly because some people don't go out to happy hour because they've got kids to get home to or whatever, so they can attend the breakfast or vice versa. So um, I've also tried to, and that's another example of trying to um, have the employees have access to me so that they don't feel like, you know, they can't talk to me. I sit out in the open with everyone, so there's no door to close or anything like that. And I've always tried to make it, um, make myself available if anyone, you know, needed to discuss an issue or whatever. But um, I think through just um, trying to communicate with people and be open with people, we have an annual meeting called the State of the State where I share everything about the company, including our financials and everything. And I know that a lot of companies um, like ours don't. But again, it's a lot of transparency so that the um, staff members can see what's going on in the company and understand where we're going, where we've been. And I think that makes everyone feel more a part of a family. Are there any ways that you've kind of like broken the company down into smaller bites or do you try to still keep it as like one big group? Well, that is becoming a bit of a challenge now that we're <laughs> over 60 people. We have an environmental graphic design studio, so that by definition is kind of its own group of six people. So that organically happened and it is, you know, its own entity. They work on our projects plus work on, you know, other projects outside of um, our architectural projects. But um, we do, from a staffing standpoint, we do have um, the studio broken into smaller chunks from a staffing standpoint. But other than that, it is still one big happy family in one big room. <laughs> That's amazing. So Ed, something that has always been really impressive to me was Twitter's relocation to mid-market in San Francisco and obviously all of the dramatic change that happened in San Francisco and the opportunity that was created. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about this for in case they don't know about it? And then I thought it's a good follow-up since we um, always like to know like what's coming next, what other things you see on the horizon for uh, corporate real estate. Yeah, Twitter was uh, quite the ride. Um, <laughs> we, we started. Uh, it was the sec. I started there when they when their second uh, location. It was behind the Moscone Center. We took every bit of space. Um, There's very little, um, very little of an eye towards architecture. It was just packing people in, in in the bench style that 
a lot of people would recognize today. And so this was back in, what, 2012, yeah. right? So we were, in a way, I think we were pioneering that, that style, although it was very, very rough. Uh, we took every bit of space we could. It was just a six-story building. Every bit of space, um, subleased some of the space. We took half of a Regis Center that was in the first floor. Um, we basically were killing the building. I can remember, we actually had stickers made up for your computer that said, uh, I survived the elevators <laughs> at that particular building. I think it was on Folsom. But uh, then we had to expand into another building that is was around the corner. Uh, and of course, you know, the nature of, of the business is everybody wants to sit in everybody else's lap, right? And if you have to move across the floor, then, you know, oh, my God, you'd think the world has ended. If you have to move down one floor, again, the same sort of trauma. You have to move to the next building, more trauma. But what, we, what I had learned actually back in the Netscape days is uh, from the salespeople was you hold up the bright, shiny thing. You know, you hold up the future, which was the mid-market building, and say, guys, this is going to be great. It's going to be the best thing that you've ever worked in. So just put up with this condensation, if you will, until we can get there. And then, indeed, we, um, I don't know, it was an 18-month project or something like that. The, the building was sold as we were negotiating for it, so that was an interesting uh, twist. Um, it was built in the 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s. So you could actually tell the different uh, uh, eras by the wall materials or the, the concrete that was used. They had board form concrete originally, and then eventually they went to plywood. There were different kind of columns, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so we, uh, we, it was a very, very nice building. It was a very uh, significant leap, leap of faith because back then, Mid-market was not the mid-market it is today, um, but the founders of the company had the vision uh, to see what, what a gem this, this building could be and indeed um, created uh, with the help of the architects and project managers, we, we got in there. Um, my favorite story was um, when we were moving in, as we were moving in, so it was a three-day move over a long weekend. We had a thousand people who had just moved into the building. It was Sunday night. We were just basically tweaking the plants in the corners of the rooms. And um, the power system blew up. So, you know, this was five o'clock on a Sunday. And, uh, you know, what do you do? All you can do is what you can do. So you get the electricians, you get the landlord, you go down into the basement and you find where the system had exploded and um, you know they almost MacGyvered their way through it by cutting out a, the, the bad part and we went from there and so working all night Monday morning nobody knew the difference that's amazing so that was uh, yeah except for you needed a lot of coffee probably <laughs> I slept under my desk of course. <laughs> literally yeah especially mid-market and uh, that right. And then uh, the growth from there was um, spectacular. So uh, trying to keep up, not just uh, with my mid-market, but, you know, starting to plant the flag in all the other countries that uh, we started planting flags in. 
that's amazing. And so just to make sure that you don't dodge my second question, what do you see is coming? <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, I, I do think about that, and it's, you know, I couldn't, I honestly, I don't know. I don't know until I start looking myself. <laughs> Typically, um, I guess my MO at this point is, you know, you're looking for a startup, and, and so th those things, the technologies keep evolving every year. So I'm not looking, so I'm not, I don't know what the next thing out there is. Um, but I can remember when I was looking for this job, uh, uh, self-driving trucks is one, <laughs> one company that uh, was kind of intriguing. And, and sometimes I'm very glad for the jobs that I don't get. Why so? Because companies are no longer around. <laughs> Maybe that went without saying, but I just had to ask so the listeners knew for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think that that's, it seems like it always works out for the best, for sure. What was one of the reasons that you felt like Splunk would be a really good fit for you? Part of the reason, to be honest, was uh, I knew the CFO from over 20 years ago. Um, so he obviously saw something in me. <laughs> I also work with my current boss at that same company, although we didn't, I wasn't in that management chain. But they went on to do other things and, and got into a position where uh, they brought me out. They said, hey, would you be interested? It's like... Yeah. <laughs> little family reunion, sort of. There you go. Fantastic. Uh, Carol, what so far has felt like your biggest success in your career, and why do you think it sticks out to you? Hmm. I could answer that from a couple of different perspectives. I think the first time that we got a very large Google project in 2006, it was astounding. It was um, just under 500,000 square feet. And we went in for the interview, and it was, it was nothing like it is today, nothing. It was very casual. We walked in with our little portfolio, and they had a conversation with us. It was a three-building um, campus. And they said, okay, well, um, we'll try you out on one of the buildings, and if it goes well, then you'll do all three. And it was about 450,000 square feet. And it's like, do you want to look at our photos? No, no, you were highly recommended, so no, we're good. I'm like, okay, all right. And then we got up and left and looking at each other like, okay, that's it. And we're going to do a Google project just like that. So, um, and again, that was in 2006. That was pretty crazy. But um, we did do all three buildings on that campus. And it, again, the tenant improvements back then were not what they are today. But it definitely was a great start. And we're still working with Google today. So it's been a very long relationship. And um, another thing that I'm especially proud of is our net zero energy building in Mountain View because we are the first commercial building in Mountain View that's um, zero energy before all the other companies that are in Mountain View like LinkedIn, Google, et cetera. And um, you know, kind of being in the middle of Silicon Valley and having that as something that we can claim as ours has been really great. Do you think that that net zero building will be something that will become kind of more more common in your portfolio? We have tried to make it more common in our portfolio <laughs> without a huge amount of success, unfortunately. I would, we moved in um, four years ago this month, 
And I would say in the first year after we moved in, um, there was a little bit of buzz with some clients. But um, unfortunately, the it definitely costs a lot more money to do a net zero energy building, at least in the beginning. And uh, clients, especially developer clients, they're just not willing to you know bite that off. And then the um, our corporate clients, they're looking at moving into buildings typically that are you know hundred thousand square foot buildings already built, and they're not going to go back and do all the kind of retrofit you would need to do. But I do think that um, from learning everything we learned in doing our building, we apply those principles whenever we can with our clients' projects where you know where it works out and where it's applicable. That's great, and obviously great for the environment. Um, okay, so Ed, same question to you. What do you feel like has been your biggest success? That I survived. Well, you've Silicon survived. Valley. You're sitting right here today. <laughs> no, seriously. I mean, surviving. It's it'll be 40 years of uh, Silicon Valley, um, with uh, just just kind of the the crazy business environment that we have here. So. Um, I don't know. I, I find it difficult. Twitter was was very impressive. Actually, Netscape. Um, I think we did really, really wonderful things there. We had uh, basically the, it was a sweet spot. It was before the dot com really heated up, so we were able to cobble together in on one or two streets over a million square feet of space. Uh, just by taking the next building and the next building and the next building and linking them all together. Um, so I'm really proud of that one. I think I'll leave it at that. <laughs> you, you mentioned 40 years. Ed, that came to the West Coast 40 years ago. Do you Did you imagine seeing yourself here today in workplace the way that it is today? No, I, I absolutely not. I don't, I don't have huge aspirations, quite honestly. Um, I'm... I love what I'm doing, obviously, or hopefully that's obvious. And I look for the challenges as they come up. And if things get boring, then I just look for the next big thing. And I ride with that. And then for one reason or other, sometimes companies, sometimes I leave companies, sometimes companies leave me. I've, I've been merged out of jobs. I've had companies... Um, go out of business out from under me a um, couple times actually so um, that sort of accounts for some of the various different jobs I've had over over the many years here well and I think compared to a lot of people in Silicon Valley you've had more longevity at firms than others may have I don't know sometimes I feel I've been with a few companies for eight years but those are the longest stints I've had, and um, sometimes it feels like I, I should have a little bit more longevity. But, it, it, hey, it is what it is, and I'm happy for the opportunities that I get and some of the cool challenges. Um, I love building things, so this is the place to do it. Yeah, you're, you're, you came to the right spot. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so kind of along those same lines, you started to go there. I think everyone has had things that happen in life that they wish hadn't. Um, maybe even CRE honorees have had those things happen. <laughs> Could you talk about a time um, that you know, was maybe a little more challenging than you would have liked and how you handled it or how you wish you had handled it in hindsight or how maybe you wish you'd handled it differently? 
this just popped into my head. I mean, I've had many, many challenging times, of course, during the course of um, owning the company. But this is when I was home on bed rest, not really bed rest, house arrest, um, when, I w- <laughs> when I was pregnant with my twins. And I was still on the computer, you know, working every day. And um, Jenny, who was a principal at the firm, she was in the office, and we were going to be letting someone go, laying this person off. And so she and I are emailing back and forth about what we're doing, et cetera. And um, I had had to email the project manager to get a little bit more clarification on some of the items that, you know, are reasoning. And instead, I emailed the employee we were laying off. Yes. Ouch. And then I got off of my email, and I'm laying down, resting. And then Jenny calls me and says, you know, I won't say what she said to me on the <laughs> on the podcast here, but I'm like, I did not. And she said, you did. And I'm like, no, I didn't. I never would have done that. You did. So I went and turned my computer back on, looked at my sent mail. Yeah. So we had not been planning on giving this person a severance, which was part of our discussion, but uh, let's just say she got a nice severance package and being let go. (laughs) It happens, right? Well, that was in the beginning of email. I mean, that was 18 years ago or 19 years ago at this point. And I think we've all learned a lot about email since then, for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Ed, what about you? Sometimes I've, um, earlier in my career, I would, um, if I was not happy with the way things were going, the way I wanted them to go, uh, many times, um, in fact, most of my career, as I stated earlier, I've been the first person in the door. So I'm not used to, <laughs> frankly, having somebody with real estate experience, uh, working for somebody with real estate experience. So in those times where I have, it gets, it got a little frustrating for me. And um, I would make a move because I didn't like the way where I was structured in the organization, what have you. So probably, I mean, things would have been, would have worked out differently if I had stuck around longer. Um, but at the, on the other side of the coin, I wouldn't be where I am today if I hadn't done what I did then. So it, it's kind of hard to say, you know, was that a good move or a bad move? I, just in retrospect, now having, now being where I am and being able to look back Maybe having a little bit more patience um, would have been good. But it all worked out pretty well for you anyways. I think so. (laughs) So you both have had quite a bit of involvement in Cornet. Ed, do you want to start by talking about your involvement and how it's contributed to your career? I know you touched on it a little bit earlier. but Right. I um, really enjoy... um, more so lately and earlier on. I mean, unfortunately, the, the nature of some of these companies is, is just go, 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 go. Um, I can remember at Twitter, it uh, was literally 12-hour days every day. And that was, you know, and then you would still work from home. Um, so trying to get some work-life balance, this Splunk is very good in that respect. So I'm, I'm able to spend more time with uh, colleagues and, and in meetings and so forth. And, and um, I try to get out to the summits, at least when they're on this coast. And um, again, just meet up with people, hear their stories, 
and try to learn uh, from them you know, what works for them. And, and, and to the degree that I can impart any wisdom, I, I'm happy to share, always happy to share. I think you obviously can impart some wisdom as a CRE honoree. <laughs> There's okay. something there. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Carol, what about you? Um, like Ed, I try to attend all the summits, even if they're not on this coast. So I've been to, um, I think, most of them over the last 10 years, maybe at least. And I think that the attend for me, the attendance at the you know the chapter meetings has been really eye-opening in terms of um, topics that are discussed. I mean, not every single one, of course, but a lot of the topics are great. And then also I really enjoy the networking and being able to talk to colleagues, um, whether it be general contractors or end users or furniture people or whoever, because everybody's got a great perspective on something. And so I always walk away from those meetings feeling like I've picked up uh, some kind of learning tidbit that, um, that I can use. That's great and also great for people to hear so that maybe that they can start to engage in that way as mm -hmm. well. So on a more personal note, but something I know a lot of our listeners are interested in, is balancing having a family as well as a successful career. Um, I don't know if I'll call it work-life balance, but I know a lot of our young leaders are currently starting families and would love any tips or thoughts you have on what worked for you. Okay. I am the queen of work-life balance, definitely. <laughs> Seriously. I've, I'm a serial vacationer. Um, ask anyone who works with me. I'm on vacation a lot. So um, I completely um, have fostered this in my company, which I think also is part of our family atmosphere. I mean, we have one person or two people, actually, that take a month off every year um, that is for a specific thing that they, one of them goes and um, teaches English in Croatia. And, you know, so I support that as something that they want to do personally. It's a commitment that they've made. And if, um, obviously there's people taking time without pay. I'm not, you know, paying for it all the time. Sponsoring it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> but um, so I am a big believer in work-life balance. And I have to say that I understand it more having had um, children myself. When the company was about two or three years old, I had an employee who lived in Oakland, and we were in Santa Clara at the time, so that's quite a commute. She had a two-year-old and an eight-month-old, maybe, and I did not understand why she had to get on the road and get going before the office was closed, because we had specific hours back then, 7.30 to 5.30, four, four days a week, and then four hours on Friday. And everybody had to be in their chairs at 7.30. Can you imagine having to do that today? Yeah. But um, I just didn't quite get it why she needed to get going so fast all the time. But yeah, clearly I get it now. And um, so I have been very good about um, both fathers and mothers in my company who um, take time off, need time off for their children's plays or musical performances or whatever. And so I think I've been um, a very understanding employer from that standpoint because I also um, do it for myself as well. Well, and I think maybe setting a good example for your employees to take advantage of that, right? If True. you're doing it yourself. Right, exactly. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think that's excellent. Um, Ed, what about you? Don't listen to me. <laughs> I am I'm probably the worst. And, and frankly, if it hadn't been for my wife, um, you know, holding down the fort um, while I took the business trips, you know, with two little kids at home. Uh, 
I, I couldn't have been this successful. I mean, really serious credit to her for, you know, somehow we made this thing work because you in a startup environment, it's really you either swim or you sink, right? It, the, the product has got to get out the door and, and we're part of that process getting space for back in the day when we actually used to manufacture here, there's manufacturing floors and, um, you know, burn-in ovens and test floors and uh, circuit board assembly lines, things like that. Um, it was critical. And and so, you you know, I got sucked into you know, putting in the hours. Um, and I'm so grateful for my wife for, for being understanding and holding things together. Um, at this point in my career, I've learned that, yeah, work-life balance, is, it's super important. And, and I'm now with a company where, I mean, our CEO stands up on stage and says, look, you got to take care of your family, whatever your family looks like, first. Yeah, and in that way, you'll have your head in the game. Right. It, it, it doesn't help if you're scattered, um, if you're trying to deal with family issues at home while you're at work. So I really appreciate that. And I'm, I'm trying to do a better job. Still not quite there yet, but uh, I'm hoping <laughs> there's still time. As I say, you've got time. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've got one of those one of those cute stories. Um, cute. So when I was at um, actually. Let's go all the way back. I was at Fairchild. There used to be a fabrication building on Ellis Street called the Rusty Bucket because they made the exterior was Corten. Is that I'm looking at Carol here. Right. So, you know, I mean, conceptually, it was great. But, uh, you know, when the rain hit it, then it would just wash the sidewalks. Right. Anyway, that's an aside. So fast forward to almost 20 years and I'm working for Netscape in the same neighborhood. And that building had finally been torn down. It was a Superfund site at that point. And they rebuilt it, and I leased it. I helped, you know, design the interiors and so forth. And I actually ended up working on that site again. And then fast forward a little, actually rewind a little before that, one of the other buildings, Synoptics, was in that same neighborhood. And I worked in one of those buildings. So I kept on going back to Mountain View. And so um, yeah, that's the cute story. That is fun. Kept going back. Kept going back, seeing yeah. it change. Yeah. My cute story is also about Mountain View. So our building is on Easy Street. And, of course, all the jokes about I finally made it to Easy Street, et cetera. <laughs> and then when the building was under construction, the Net Zero Energy consultant used to live on Easy Street, the contractor had actually done the initial foundation of the building when he was just starting out as a general contractor working for someone else. So he'd worked on the site before. Um, our designer had lived on Easy Street um, previously. So it was just this funny thing that so many people had lived on Easy Street and now we're there too. So when I was getting ready to announce um, to the staff the fact that we were moving, our graphic designer put together a whole slideshow, but we started it out with um, Carol Burnett singing uh, the song Easy Street from Annie, and no one knew what was going on because there's this video playing, and we're all sitting in a room, and they're all looking, and then the next slide was, we're moving to Easy Street, and 
there's a lot of applause and excitement and so it's fun. So to wrap up today, Carol, we'll start with you. What advice would you give to our listeners today? Work hard, play hard. Back it's pretty to your simple. Life balance. Yeah. <laughs> um, even though I'm a serial vacationer, I have worked very hard throughout all of these years. I will say I worked a little harder in the beginning than I am now. But um, I also feel that having fun and um, that's also equally important. And so work hard, play hard. Good advice. Ed, what advice would you give our listeners? Don't burn bridges. The longer you stay in this business, in this valley, the smaller it gets. And, and when I say valley, I'm, I do include San Francisco, so no disrespect there. But um, you tend to meet the same people um, over and over again, you know, kind of the survivors, if you will. Uh, so you may not like to deal with somebody, but you have to deal with them. So you just keep it professional. Uh, and the people that you do like, you definitely spend more time with, you know, like at Cornet. Wonderful. Good advice. Also, I like the idea of uh, survivor real estate. <laughs> 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 as have a, a new coronet game. <laughs> as a TV show? Uh, oh, a TV yeah. show. That would be a good TV show. Oh, uh, we could do that, huh? Who could we kick off the island, though? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you have tenants in a building. Ooh, or... good idea. I like that. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you both so much for joining me today. You're welcome. Thank you. It's been fun. Thanks so much for joining us today. To stay up to date with the Northern California chapter, please follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter at Cornet NorCal. If you like our podcast, please subscribe on iTunes and share on social media. We'd love to keep this conversation going and want to hear what's on your mind. And thank you to all of our listeners who have inquired about sponsoring the podcast. We've had an overwhelming response. Please do still reach out if you're interested on our website, nocal.cornetglobal.org. As always, please share your thoughts and comments on our LinkedIn page under the post for this episode. I'm Melissa Pacey, and I will talk to you next time.